Well, take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Matthew. I want you to be in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. We're picking up in the second part of this particular message, but the third part of the series on kingdom prayer, and we're talking about an open heaven. Listen, I love that we have a wonderful church family. How many of you know that God heals every hurt? There, there's a reason when the enemy gets us living in other things and in other ways, we forget the power that's in us to minister to those that people go through a lot of hurt. Quick things go on in the course of a week. How many of you are thankful that you've got people praying for you and loving you and caring for you? Amen. We've been in this series on prayer. I believe it's a, it's a vital thing. How many of you are thankful for the presence of God in this place today? And I believe that what the Lord is doing in this place is, is just a beginning of what I believe the Lord wants to do, not only here, but throughout the nation. There is a fresh work of the Holy Spirit that's, that's beginning, that is wonderful, if we'll allow it. But how many of you know in every move of God, the Lord also works on our hearts as well? It's not just about the shouting, it's not just about the proclaiming, because the ministry that we have to do is vital. The enemy will do everything he can to stop what God wants to do in the world. I wanted to read something that I ran across before I get into these verses. It was written by uh, Glenn Burris, and he said this. He said, pray without ceasing. Prayer isn't an event. It's not something we just plan or do. It's an all-encompassing attitude of the heart that continually places us and a submitted posture before the Lord, acknowledging our absolute dependence on his mercy and grace. It's like a radar system. It doesn't shut down. It's constantly discerning the surrounding environment and intensifies when needed. It's a divine direct connection to the throne room of the Most High God. It accesses his will and authority. It moves in confidence of his presence and power. God even provided a spiritual language to prayer which transcends human understanding and communicates the depths of our soul. It's like prayer at a supersonic level because it is spirit to spirit. Sometimes it's the only way to pray when common words are not sufficient. Pray without ceasing. Touch someone next to you and tell them pray without ceasing. Listen, the truth is that that prayer is constant communication and relationship with the Lord. Matthew 3.16 is where we left off last week. That and the next verse that I'll be reading. Matthew 3.16 says, After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, watch this, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. Father, we thank you this morning that there is an open heaven over here at Harvest Community. We thank you, Lord God, that, that our prayers are not hitting a ceiling of brass, that it feels hard to get through. We thank you, Lord, that you are in this place answering and meeting with us. Now, Lord, this morning may we decrease and may you increase in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. 
When we left off with that verse last week, we were talking about how God desires relationship. That's what prayer is. God was not addressing those who didn't know him. He was addressing the end times church and saying, listen, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm asking to come in. And if you will just let me in, I will come in and dine with you. That means abide, that I will live with you. I will eat with you. I will have relationship with you. The biggest thing that I will pray that we will take away from this series on kingdom prayer is that out of everything prayer is designed to do, it is to reveal Jesus to each and every one of us in a greater measure and for us to learn to have relationship with him day in and day out. He said that he wants to come in. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I don't know if you know this, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't just saying, I want Harvest Community Church or whatever church you go to, to be a house of prayer. He said, I've now left buildings and I've gone in to dwell inside of people. And my people, listen, are to be a house of prayer, a place of relationship, not a place of formality only, but a place of walking and talking with God on a daily basis. Now, when I was preparing this message, this portion of what I'm about to teach this morning wasn't even on my radar to teach. I literally thought that all I was going to talk about was relationship with God and what an open heaven looks like. How many of you have known the difference of when you pray, you know your prayers are getting through, and other times when it just feels like the heavens are brass? If you've ever been there, say a good amen. Now listen, the thing that I think is important Because what's come over the body of Christ, and we talked about this a little last week, has been more of a formality instead of relationship. We get to church when we feel like it. COVID has kind of allowed us to put away our prayer time, our time in the Word. And and it shows within the body of Christ. We see the intensity has faded with which people are actually having relationship with the Lord. And I promise if you and I would treat our marriages the way many Christians are treating their walk with God, the marriages would be in a lot of trouble. I believe God wants to open the heavens. The thing that I'm thankful for is I have the privilege of pastoring a church that I know hungers for the Lord. I've listened to you pray. I've watched you as you've seek the face of God, as you've studied the word, as you've been faithful in the things God has asked us. But I believe that we are not seeing an open heaven over our nation, over our communities, and there are reasons for that. The next things I want to teach are going to be eye-opening. They're not to be condemning. They're meant to be taught. How many of you came here to learn this morning? Because there are times in your own walk, there are times in my walk, where it does feel like prayers aren't getting through, and the question becomes why? How many of you know you have a relationship with your husband and wife, and there are times when you know everything you're saying is getting through, and in other times when nothing is getting through? If you've been there, say a good amen. I mean, you can walk around the house and it feels colder than the refrigerator. Sometimes it'll feel that way with the Lord. There's reasons. Because it's relationship. The thing that I was encouraged before COVID started as people had grasped the idea that their walk with God wasn't just formality. One of the things that COVID did was remind, we started getting 
thinking about things we have to do or we should do, and then we did those things. We didn't do them because they were out of relationship. We did them because, like church going or Bible reading or different things, for many of us, because it was the thing to do. How many of you just love Jesus this morning? In a country that has been blessed by many revivals, in a nation that has known the prosperity and the goodness and the blessing of the Lord, we have seen in many ways over these last few years the heavens feel like brass. And I want to talk this morning about obstacles to an open heaven. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to go through these quick. Every one of these could be a whole message in themselves. How many of you will pray that I won't preach all these as a message? Someone say a good amen. amen. <laughs> Number one, the first obstacle to an open heaven is unforgiveness. Heaven opening prayer will not flow through unforgiving hearts. In Matthew 5, 23 and 24, it says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there, where at the altar, in your prayer time, remember that your brother has something against you. Not if you have something against them. If you know that they have something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. If everyone understands what that verse says, say amen. The next verse in Mark eleven twenty five says, and, whatever, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. That your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11 says, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. It's interesting when we read that verse about Satan's devices, we talk about everything else except forgiveness. How many of you know unforgiveness is one of the key things that Satan uses to really keep us from the things that God has in our life? Unforgiveness will cut us off from prayer. Relationship with God is vital, but broken relationships with others will affect our relationship with God. Unforgiveness ruins any relationship. It hurts us physically. It hinders us spiritually. I want to remind you that forgiveness is one of the reasons that Jesus came to us and when we forgive, heaven is pleased. I want to tell you in this day and age, the world is full of offenses and hurts, things that people are saying and things that people are doing. And we have a million reasons to be angry. We have a million reasons to be upset. But God says to forgive. Christian, if you are holding unforgiveness, I don't care if it's against the president or if it's against your spouse or against your neighbor or against someone in the church. Listen, whatever it is, take it to the Lord, take it to them, and let them know that they are forgiven so that heaven can be open over your life. If you understand that, say a good amen. The next obstacle to an open heaven is regarding iniquity. 
Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, say this with me, the Lord will not hear. The Amplified says this, If I regard sin and baseness in my heart, that is, if I know it is there and do nothing about it, the Lord will not hear me. I want to remind you that all sin is about relationship. When David sinned, he had sinned against other people, but he said, against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. Joseph, when he was tempted to sin with his boss's wife, says, how could I ever sin against God in that manner? We cannot look the other way. When we see sin in our life, or in the life of our family, or in the life of our church, Please hear me this morning. We cannot expect the blessing of God and an open heaven if we regard sin. Now I want to remind you what the word regard means. To regard means to look joyfully and to enjoy or to experience a thing. Something that is in your heart, Something that is my heart is something that is close to our heart and it becomes a part of us. And the truth is for most Christians that most of our sin is known sin. How many of you have been serving God for a while now? Say a good amen. How many of you are thankful for the Holy Ghost that lets you know when what you're doing isn't right? So let me say this again. If you've been serving God for any amount of time, the sin that you and I have in our life isn't something that's unknown to us. We know it's there, and we know it's in our life because we enjoy it and we want it there. How can we expect heaven to open when we are entertaining hell or allowing hell to entertain us? Turn to someone and say, I don't want a part of that. Go ahead. Come on right now. Can I tell you, and I know you won't hear this in many places right now, but I just believe God wants to pour out His Spirit like many never before. And there are many of us that are enjoying aspects of sin in our life. It is there. We know it's there. We're glad it's there. We like that it's there. And people will say, don't you touch that, because I'm okay with that. Let me just tell you very quickly that God is not okay with that. It is not my job as the pastor to come to you and poke you in the chest. It is my job to preach the word and allow the Holy Ghost to do the poking. If you're feeling some of that this morning, listen, let the Holy Ghost poke you and poke that sin right out of your life. I will guarantee that in this room this morning, because God had me speak it, I have to stop here for a minute. There are some of us that are enjoying aspects of sin in our life. We know it's there. We like it there. You're asking God to do things in your life. But can I tell you, Jesus died for your sin. He died for my sin. That is what stood in the way of heaven in the first place. How can we have an open heaven over our church, over our families, and in our lives if we don't allow God to rid us of every bit of sin that's in our lives? At the end of this message this morning, there will be an altar call. There are times we don't have that every week. Listen, I've grown up in church. I used to think you had to have an altar call every week. And then I realized God set me free from that as the preacher because I got tired of giving altar calls and no one's showing up at the altar. 
But I believe with all my heart one of the things God's doing in this day and age is dealing with the sin in our life. I love this saying that the river of God will never flow through a bed of disobedience. Many of us give regard to people who we know have sinned in their lives. We know what's going on in the church. We know what's going on in our families, and we want heaven to open, but we make excuses for people that we know have sinned or lack inner character without leading them to repentance. We just allow life to go on like nothing is going on because we don't want to risk friendships or rock the boat. I want to tell you Jesus is coming back, and baby, it's time to rock the boat. We don't confront sin and there becomes a conformity to sin. We don't need to condemn a person, but we need to point it out. Listen, Eli paid a heavy price for his sin. Eli, the priest's sin was that his sons were in sin and he did nothing to correct it. And because his sons were in sin, they corrupted people around him by their behavior and their exploitation. And the Bible says that God had been silent for a long time because sin went on. At that point when Samuel came on the scene, the Bible says the word of the Lord had been rare in those days. I believe that the word of the Lord is becoming more and more common. But when it is not common, it is because sin is present. Listen, to open heaven, there must be repentance. My prayer is that before the end of this message today, if there's sin in your life right now, take your time and get rid of it before the Lord. The next obstacle to an open heaven, grab a hold of this, is prejudice. There is all kinds of prejudice. You and I are familiar with Rachel President. President, President. <clears throat> Thank you. Hang on a second. We're all familiar with racial prejudice. But there is gender prejudice. There's economic prejudice. There's religious prejudice. One of the things Jupiter's finding out is that pretty soon economic prejudice, we're glad that we can all afford to live here, but we don't have a lot of people that can afford to work here. That's a problem. And listen, the church is going to need to address that in the future, or you and I are never going to get to go out to eat, or you're going to be bagging your own groceries. What if God wants to open heaven in your life through someone you don't approve of? Someone who's poor? not economically successful, or someone who's not business savvy. Galatians 3, 28 and 29 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, although there are male and females. And if how many of you know the difference? If you know the difference between a male and female this morning, someone say a good amen. amen. I'm not going to preach on that, but we know what happened this week. Now watch this. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. People call Sunday mornings the most segregated hours of the week. 
We have white churches, black churches, Asian churches, Greek Orthodox churches, Roman Catholic churches, Baptist churches, Assemblies of God churches, Methodist churches, Lutheran churches, and all kind of flavor of whatever you think you want to go to. But I have news for you, there is only one church. I know a lady that was so prejudiced that she cut off her entire family because they adopted a black child. Years later, she grew to love that one, and she repented of her sin. And when that lady was old and sick and in a nursing home, it was that one grandchild that came to visit her every week and sit with her for hours. I believe that many people do not see an open heaven because we harbor hatred and rejection in our hearts. And if there is prejudice in your heart, listen, you need to repent of that today. Whatever it is and whatever flavor it seems to come in, listen, because I believe that the work that God's going to do as He opens heaven will touch every segment of our society. If you're ready for that, can we give the Lord a shout in the house of God? Obstacle number four is judgment of others. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 says, Judge not that you not be judged, for with the same judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at the plank in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. I want to remind you that we will know people by their fruit. That's not judgment, that's recognition. But we were never called by God to decide that a person is worthless to God or to people. And the truth is we don't know why people are the way that they are and why they do things that they do. I want to remind you that God is the righteous judge and what people need is our mercy before they need our help. What I have found is that most judgment is pride and comparison. Turn to someone and tell them, not everyone's like you. Go ahead. My <laughs> stop. My wife's back there going, you. Uh, my wife will always tell me when I get aggravated with people, well, listen, not everyone's like you. My answer to that is, well, they should be. But, uh, but how many of you know that's prideful, amen? Listen, the truth is we all have become like that in America. We really have. But God has created such a wonderful, wonderful, different and abundance of personalities. The truth is that without God's grace and without his mercy, every single one of us is a raving mess. Nothing hinders a move of God like self-righteousness and condemnation. In a few weeks, I'm going to preach a message. As a matter of fact, God's having me prepare it this week. I've been working on it for like two weeks because God's working on me. And it's called brokenness, not broken. One of the things that you will find is that God will break you before he uses you. He will tear you to a place where you don't have any self-righteousness left. And you'll realize you don't have any right to it. How many of you are thankful for the righteousness of God in Christ?
In Christ, there's no condemnation. The Bible says that he came to save the world, not to condemn it. And gossip and self-righteousness will close heaven over a person, over a church. As God says, I will judge you like you're judging others. Listen, here's what I want to remind you. Mercy opens up heaven doors like you can't believe. The more you see people having a difficult time, show them the grace and mercy of the Lord. The next obstacle is ignoring the poor. Jesus said that the poor will always be with us. And I've heard people say, well, the poor are always there, so we don't have to do anything about it. No, 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 no. What Jesus was saying was, we will always have an opportunity to pay attention to them and help them at their point of need. People, listen, can be poor financially. They can be poor in hope. They can be poor in joy. They can be poor in peace. They can be poor in morals. But Proverbs 21.13 says, Whoever shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. I believe that in the coming years, listen, they're saying that in the coming years we are going to see an economic downturn and food shortages. I don't know. I think that more than likely will happen. They are saying this in many places right now. Here's what that means. We will have the opportunity as the body of Christ to help one another and to help others. Turn to someone and say, you got to be aware of the poor. Go ahead, tell them right now. When we open our hearts to those in need, God opens the heavens to us. One of the first things that the early church had to address was how many widows and orphans were in need. And today, most of us as Christians are so isolated from the poor that we do not even know how to reach out to the needy. And the truth is, we really don't even want to know. We believe that it's the job of an uncaring government to take care of them. When I started out in ministry, and listen, I grew up in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, one of the first things that they did was say, Marvin, before you're going to preach, you're going to serve. And so in Master's Commission, when we went to Phoenix, one of the first things I did, we would go into the projects, the poorest areas of the city. Not only would we preach the gospel, we'd bring food and clothing and help. When I went on staff at my first church position, before they let me preach in the service and say, you're going to help every Friday, you're a part of the food bank. And we went and listened. Growing up, the Lord blessed us. I didn't have a dad. There were five children. But my mom was blessed because she served the Lord. She tithed. She did what God said. We were poor, but we didn't even know it. We lived in, the, in, in one of the nicest neighborhoods of Pittsburgh. We never did without food, and I still don't. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? But I want to tell you, I remember going into homes that I didn't know existed. Dirty, bugs, cupboards falling off the wall, couches that were in bad repair, carpet that was at least 100 years old and hadn't been vacuumed forever. People very different from my background. And it's easy for Christians to forget that many people live in places that we would call shabby. How many of you know in Jupiter we are blessed to live where we live? One of the things that God will notice is how we as individuals and how we as a church treat the poor in any form. And how we treat them will have an impact on how God hears us. 
Now, this may not sound like revival talk, but I want to remind you that one of the first things the apostles did was appoint seven deacons to care for the poor so they could continue to preach and to pray and to teach. Today, we often think of deacons that just collect offerings and serve on boards. I want to tell you, I am thankful for the deacons of our church. If you are appreciative for them, would you just give them a hand this morning? They are blessings and a gift of God to this place. But I want to tell you one of the things I also begin, we're going to see as time move on. Listen, it is our job to care for the poor. And God's going to raise up deacons and deaconesses. Deacon says that God will raise up to help feed and care for and distribute to the needs of a community. Listen, a deep work of the Spirit of God will result in intensely practical ministry to people. And I want to remind you that I believe as we see the Lord pour out His Spirit in this church, we're going to have wonderful services we're going to continue to see the Lord move and people healed. How many of you believe that? But I want you to get ready because practical ministry is really a sign of revival where people are being helped and loved and cared for. The American church for a long time has equated revival with lights and smoke machines and loud music and fancy things. But I want to tell you, real revival will move from the presence of God in a service to his presence touching people right where they are in a time of need. And the truth is, as God poured out his spirit on the early church, there were opportunities to share the love of Jesus in very practical and meaningful ways. Obstacle number six teaching the commandments of men. Many believers pray ineffectively and live in continual frustration and discouragement because they have believed the commandments of men rather than the doctrines of God. Matthew 15, 8 and 9 says, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart, everyone say heart, but their heart is far from me. And in vain, they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. There are many traditions and expectations that some well-meaning people get all caught up in and actually will hinder the work that God wants to do. In Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, it says, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was able, unable to stand up straight. How many of you recognize that walk? 18 years. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, please don't miss relationships. Precious lady, she was hurting. She'd been in pain. She probably may not have even been the nicest woman in the world all the time. She might have been a little cranky. Listen, if you've been bent over by an evil spirit for 18 years, you might be a little cranky too. And Jesus' words to her wasn't, listen, you cranky old lady. He said, dear woman, You're healed from your sickness. 
And then he touched her and instantly could stand up straight. How she praised God. Now watch this. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on, those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord replied, you hypocrites. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear water woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. Listen, can I tell you, I love to shame the devil and make godly people rejoice. If you like that, can we give the Lord a good clap in the house of God? I want you to remember that Jesus was more concerned for this lady than this ridiculous idea of not healing on the Sabbath. I know a good pastor who was voted out of his church because his daughters wore pants on a cold day and not a dress. I know people who leave churches because a pastor won't preach from the King James Version. I know people who were upset because there were youth smoking in the parking lot. They were not happy that they actually came to church. I promise you that when we do not care about people more than our preferences, the heavens will be like brass over our church. Turn to someone and say, let your preferences go. Listen, I'm not talking about righteousness. I'm not talking about encouraging sin. I'm talking about the ridiculous rules we put on people that have no merit in the kingdom of God. Obstacle number seven, self-condemnation. You and I need to remember who we are in Christ Jesus. Yes. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. You ever notice that just when we're ready to pray, just when we're ready to meet with God, that Satan will remind you of every mistake, failure, misstep, and sin that you've ever done in your life? I want to give you some advice when you hear all of those things begin to go through your head. Remember the source. What Satan wants to do is to keep you in any church from praying. And he will say anything, viciously attack you. And he will tell you truth. And he will tell you lies. But I want you to remember you have been forgiven. You've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been set free by the power of God. And the devil is a liar. Remember when you come before God, shut out the devil and his accusations. And if any of them are true, that's between you and God, not between you and the devil. And you need to know that. Listen, anytime someone had accused my children of something, I always listened. But they were not part of the discipline, and they weren't part of the restoration. 
I remember one time Wesley did something wrong and he deserved a spanking and the person said, well, I want to stand here and watch it. And I said, that's not between you and him. You came to me, I've apologized for my boy. I'll go home and beat him myself, but you don't get to do it. Come on, someone say a good amen. Understand, that's how God is with us. We're his children. If there's discipline that needs to be done, God will graciously do it and take care of you and me and not make you an example in front of somebody else. As a child of God, you are righteous. He's a good father. And he will hear us. He will discipline us. He'll restore us. 1 John 3, 19-22 said, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, say this with me, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Satan wants to shut doors before we even knock on them by just drawing us away from the door. I want to tell you God is greater than your past. He's greater than our sin. He's greater than our mistakes. He's greater than our own ideas about ourself. And he's greater than what other people think. I can tell you how many times the devil will come to me when I believe in God for things and will remind me what other people think about me. And God says it doesn't matter what they think. It matters. Tell, tell someone next to you it doesn't matter what they think. Go ahead right now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It matters what God thinks. When you know that you are a child of God, hope and has opened us to come boldly to the throne of grace. Mark this down. Obstacle, the next one, is a disrespect to our spouse. Oh, I heard a couple of people go, ooh. First Peter 3, 7 says, In the same way, you husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, with great gentleness and tact, and with an intelligent regard for the marriage relationship. Everyone say, intelligent regard. Men and women, that means you're to be thinking about your spouse and how we behave towards each other. As with someone physically weaker, since she is a woman, show her honor and respect as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered or ineffective. I remember there was a lady in our church who was not weaker than her husband. As a matter of fact, she lifted weights. She worked out. She was tough. She was a brute, and he was just a gentle, kind, short little fella. She said, well, what if I'm more like the guy in the relationship? I said, you're still a woman, but this applies to you. Treat each other well. Someone say a good amen. How many of you know God believes where he can intelligently read Scripture? Nothing will hinder prayer like discord in a marriage. When you and I and our spouses, we take each other for granted, when we treat one another without patience or without consideration, when kindness is disregarded and harsh words are used and cold actions or silence are present, God isn't pleased. Anytime that God wants to do a work in a family or in a church, listen to me, you can be sure that Satan will try to disrupt the family. Especially the relationship between a husband and wife. And have you ever found out you got in the car on Sunday morning and everything was good until all you were on your way to church? And then the other person just annoyed the living daylights out of you? 
I remember one Sunday, Dawn was trying to help me with something, and I don't know why, it just annoyed me. And I got to tell you, I was really annoyed. She started getting a little snippy with me, and I thought, I'll get snippy right back. All the way to church. Look, I showed her. And I came in here, and the Lord just said, and you want to be anointed this morning. I tried to ignore him. We came to worship practice. It never works. It doesn't work. This was years ago, by the way, not today. <laughs> and I remember when she walked through the door, the Lord said, you better apologize to your wife or you are going to lay the biggest egg you've ever preached in your life. How many of you are thankful for a father that knows how to correct a son? And I left back here. Dawn was in the back. And I said, baby, I love you. I'm sorry. And she looked at me for a minute. And I deserved anything she was about to give me. And the Lord softened her heart too. And she said, I'm sorry too. I wasn't all that either. Can I tell you, it's important that we understand how the enemy wants to get into relationships to tear them down. The Bible says we're to build each other up to praise instead of criticize, to appreciate each other and to not take another for granted. We are to safeguard our marriages and our family. I want you to listen to me. Please look at me. We're asking for the heavens to be opened. Do not be surprised if the enemy comes against your marriage. Be smarter than the enemy. If you believe that, say a good amen. Now I'm getting close. Here, no watch. Are you still with me for a minute? The last obstacle is self promotion. Self promotion. Isaiah 42 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. When we think of revival, and when we think of the open heaven that we're praying for, we're believing for the glory and the presence of God to be present. But I want to tell you too often we desire this for selfish reasons. During the Brownsville and Toronto revivals of the 90s, I saw something happen. Many pastors wanted what was happening in that church to happen because they wanted the crowds and the attention and the notoriety. They wanted people coming to their churches And for their names to be known and for the church to be known. One of the things that we're watching in current Christianity is let's brand our churches and let's get the name of the church out. Now I want people to know Harvest Community. But here's what Jesus said. If I will be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. I 
And I'm going to tell you as a pastor, there'll be times I will struggle with this because I want to promote, I believe, putting things on Facebook and all that. But listen, we have drawn people to the church, but we haven't drawn people to Jesus. My prayer is that what God is doing in our church and what God will do throughout the United States of America will draw people to Jesus regardless of what God is doing and what church he's doing it at. The more we are concerned about making a name for ourselves, the more we stop lifting up the name of Jesus. And what happened during the Brownsville Revival and the Toronto Revival also began to happen during the church growth movement. So what happened was a mixture of desiring God and a longing for results. And what happened was that people couldn't figure out why they weren't experiencing the presence of God, why they still felt empty, and why they were still thirsty. I want to remind you that Simon the sorcerer wanted to buy what the disciples had so that he could draw a crowd and get money and have a name for himself. And here's what the, the disciples did. They rebuked him. Can I tell you, when we desire for heaven to open, the desire must be pure and it must be to lift up the name of Jesus and to do the works that he sent us to do on his behalf. How many of you just want to see Jesus? The last obstacle. And I want you to write this down. As a matter of fact, it wasn't in my notes as I was praying. God had me write it. See that nice little note? at the bottom, and handwriting that I can barely read. If you're taking notes, mark this down. Indifference and apathy. A take it or leave it attitude. That will always ruin a relationship. Let me give you that in a biblical term. Lukewarm. In the book of Revelation, John spoke to the last day's church. And he said, because you are neither hot and you're not cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. And I got to tell you, as I was preparing this, I felt this come on so strongly over me that I can't even tell you. As I began to weep in prayer time and I said, Lord, I don't ever want to be lukewarm. 
I don't want to just take it or leave it. I don't just want to say, I want you, Jesus, and if it happens, okay. And if it doesn't happen, that's fine. Can I tell you, there is a world that needs Jesus now. There are people dying now. Listen, Greg's cousin, and Greg, I'm so sorry I didn't know. You need to let me know these things, my brother. But listen, your cousin went into eternity that quickly. That quick it happens. Listen to me. That quick. And I got to tell you, as American churches through COVID... We've become indifferent. Okay, I love a good race, a good song. That's nice. But you're not refreshing and you're not boiling for God. There's been this indifference and apathy that has come into the church. And as a matter of fact, the Bible said in Revelation chapter 3 that that would be the defining trait of an end times church. Lukewarmness. Neither hot or cold. I promise you lukewarmness will close the heavens over your prayer time. It'll close the heavens over a church. I want to tell you I'm thankful for a church of believers that loves the Lord. I'm thankful that we are in a church that is not lukewarm. But I want you to turn to someone next to you and tell them, don't get tepid. Go ahead. Tell them, don't. Tell someone, don't get tepid. Don't, listen, listen, cold is good. How many of you like a nice cold drink? How many of you know hot is good? How many of you like a nice hot drink? But how many of you have ever put something in your mouth that was just, bleh? We live in Florida. You ever left a drink in your car just a little too long and we're hoping to pick that sucker up and it tastes good and it didn't? Obstacles to an open heaven. This is our year of overflow. This is it. I believe God wants to pour out His Spirit. We've been asking for it. We've been seeking His face for it. I believe He wants to do it. But can I tell you, we can't be indifferent about it. Listen, I know that there's a lot of people that go to church now and their deal is let's just go to church. I'm going to attend. I got it. I'm in. I'm out. And that's it. You have some prayer time at home. You have some time in the Word, but you're in, you're out. It's not even a thing. There is no hot, no cold relationship with God. You're just kind of there. Listen, can I tell you, that will close the heavens over your life like that. How many of you want to see the overflow of God? If you do, would you stand with me this morning? Listen, Sherry, if you'd come. Oh, and I want to tell you, the Lord is, there's, there's so many things that the enemy would do to try to prevent people. If you got a little something out of that, say a good amen this morning. Now, I know I preached about five minutes longer, and I've got an altar call to give. You're going to be okay. I promise you, they're not going to run out of food yet at the restaurants. It's still there. I want you to look at me. The Holy Spirit wants us as a body of believers to examine our hearts, listen, individually, and then secondly, to examine ourselves as a body. One of the things that we have to realize in, in, in that God's doing in this day, we are not separate from each other. Just as surely as you can't separate me and Don, we're husband and wife, when you think of us, you think of 
We're the family of God. Aren't you thankful for the family of God? We can't just think individually anymore. So there's two things that I want to say this morning. Number one, if there is sin in your life and you know it and you enjoy it, it's time to be done with it right now. Someone may know about it. No one may know about it. But I promise you, you know about it. God knows about it. Christian, he died for you. So that you could live. So this altar call is going to be for two things this morning. And in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seats. Two things. Number one, if there's sin in your life, it's time to repent. Not that I'm going to hand a mic and put it in front of your face and ask you to tell everybody. Again, that's between you and God. It's no one else's business. Someone say a good amen. amen. But the altar is the place where you leave it. Secondly, if you would say, Lord, I just want the fire of the Holy Ghost in my life. I want to burn bright. We want to see you open up the heavens over this church. So it won't matter who's coming, repent or or those in this church who want to see a move of God, if that's what you desire, would you also step to the altar this morning? Can we just come? Now listen, I'm not even going to ask anyone to sing. If you just want to see the Lord move in this church, if there's things God's dealing with in your life, would you step to the altar right now? Come on. Come on. We're not, we don't have to work it up. We don't, have to, we don't have to have a song to get you in the mood. The Holy Spirit is running. If you just come and make your way just so there's plenty of room here at the altar. I believe the Lord wants to do a unique work in this place this morning. And that's okay. Listen, this whole room can be a sanctuary, can be a place of the altar. But listen, if you're coming, come on, move close, move close, move close. Come on in. The other people won't bite, at least now. I'm not going to ask you to pray a sinner's prayer. I'm just going to ask you to pray a prayer of repentance with me. And then we're going to pray together for the move of the Holy Ghost in this place. Can we pray this together throughout the church, those at the altar? Father, I love you. Remove from me every sin, the things that I enjoy that don't please you. Change my heart. Today, I leave that right here at your feet and I give you glory for victory in Jesus name amen come on if you believe God is good we give a shout he is faithful he is good now listen here's what you need to hear you repented of a sin that's been in your life for a long time for some of you it's been a stronghold and you say is it that easy yes the devil thinks that you've got to hang on to it forever. When you leave here, the Bible says he will give you power to live free from that sin. Now listen, can we just lift our hands and ask the Lord for a fresh work in our lives and over this church. Lord, we come this morning, we lift our hands to you. 
We thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, every one of these obstacles we have learned, we, we want them out of our life. But Lord, we ask you for an open heavens over this church. We ask you for an open heavens over our families and over in our individual life. We pray, Lord, an open heaven over Jupiter and Palm Beach County and this entire region in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would begin to pour out your spirit in unprecedented ways like you promised in your word that signs and wonders will follow us who believe that God, not only will we see the work of God in this sanctuary, but we'll see it in our workplaces. Lord, as we pray in the grocery store, as the prayer stations are used out on the streets and at the beachside, that God, we would reach every segment of our community in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that what you would do in this area would transcend economics. We pray that God, what you would do would reach the wealthiest and the most famous in our community. And Lord, those that no one knows and are struggling. And we pray that God, all those situations would change for the glory of God. That those that are poor in spirit would become rich in the things of God. And those that are rich in the things of God, but poor in worldly things, would find the very provision of heaven right at their feet, pouring out the goodness of the Lord. And Lord, we pray you'd use us to make that blessing possible. The Father, we give you glory for meeting with us this morning. And as we leave this place, we want to thank you. Thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that you answer prayer. Thank you that we are kingdom people, praying kingdom prayers, seeing the kingdom work of God be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And we'll give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord one more shout this morning if you love him, for he is good. We give you glory, Lord, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Listen, I love you. May the Lord bless you. Thank you guys for you. I've been for like three weeks. I've been kind of spanking you about Wednesdays, and you all showed up. Show up again. It was good. We love you. Keep coming. Listen, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you, and may he give you peace. We'll see you Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. God bless you all.